Welcome back to The Takeaway. It's Todd Zwillick, and we bring you a conversation now between two women in top jobs at influential news outlets. They are tasked with covering gender and the treatment of women at a critical moment in this country. Koa Beck is the new editor-in-chief of Jezebel, and Jessica Bennett is the gender editor at The New York Times. It's a newly created position at that organization. They both began their roles just in the last month or so, and they each have big goals. One of my ambitions for Jezebel um, is that I really want to reframe, quote unquote, women's issues under a spectrum of gender and not just account for women, but I want to account for other marginalized genders as well, particularly non-binary identities. One of the things that I think is so compelling about this landscape now is that in the current dialogue of gender and rights, and particularly under a Trump administration, You don't necessarily have to identify as a woman to have your constitutionally protected rights to an abortion taken away from you in this country. But I do not see enough uh, conversation and dialogue around that. And in my Jezebel tenure, that is uh, a conversation I want to host and have. And for what it's worth, you know, we were specific in the creation of my role in that it was going to be called gender because we wanted to include those things. Like, this isn't just about feminism and and quote-unquote women's issues. That is a piece of it, for sure, but it's also about race and class, and it's about seeing all of the topics we cover already, whether it's sports or business, through this lens of gender. And so so I think that's really the goal. Koa Beck of Jezebel and Jessica Bennett of The New York Times, they're speaking together in our studios last week. Now, it's important to note that they joined us for this conversation before allegations came to light against Takeaway host John Hockenberry, and we're going to be bringing them back for more conversation on that. But first, we hear what they have to say about covering gender right now in America and what to make of the fact that so much of our news and our culture has been defined by men who've been accused of harassment and assault themselves. First, Koa Beck from Jezebel. I think it absolutely has pulled the wall down on terms of who curates our cultural conversations. The guardians of the topics and the ways in which those conversations are presented to us, the fact that these have been curated by people who have these allegations, says a lot about their views of women and other marginalized genders, their views of what is deemed top of mind, what is the priority, what is the story. Yeah, I mean, honestly, it's crazy to look at these men and to think about just how significantly they have shaped our understanding of the world, from politics to media to who gets their stories told to culture to film and television. I mean, it is truly epic in so many ways. And so... I've been just thinking about that a lot. You know, what does it mean to have our cultural conversations for years and years and years shaped by men who clearly do not value women and do not respect women? And what does it mean that Harvey Weinstein has been able to, even if we weren't fans of his specifically, literally infiltrate our brains just by cultural consumption, like the number of movies. And in some of these cases, it's hard to quantify. It's like, okay, how do you think about the overall impact that Harvey Weinstein has had on, you know, our children's thinking about how they view the world? And in some cases, it's actually concrete. You know, the Amazon executive who was fired for assaulting and harassing young women on his staff, he canceled the show The Good Girls Revolt. 
The show The Good Girls Revolt tells the story of the women of Newsweek magazine, which is where I began my career, who sued for gender discrimination in the year 1970, essentially paving the way for female journalists. That is a direct connection to a piece of culture lost, canceled by a man who we now know to harass women. I think really just game-changing for me as a queer woman who's worked in media for eight years is that I'm now seeing sexual harassment, assault, sexual violence be the top of the news cycle for more than four days. We're so used to the news cycle of one allegation coming out and then a very rich, usually white man, goes on paid leave for six months. And then Woody Allen has another movie, and then everybody goes. And it's heartbreaking and very crushing every time, especially to be the reporter who has sat with these survivors and to ask them to share something like this and knowing the repercussions they're going to take, and then to have it be everywhere and then have nobody care after four days. So in this particular climate, I do see a certain shift in terms of the conversations going beyond the predators who have often picked them. And I I think it reveals a lot also, I think, to public and readers about how these stories get visibility and don't. Look at the people who are choosing them. Look at how they have violated people. I keep sort of frantically thinking to myself, like, people are going to have fatigue. There's going to be fatigue. And one of the really remarkable things is that there is not. Like, Mm -hmm. this continues to bubble up. This feels like a tsunami. Like, I can't stop using bad weather metaphors for this. It's like tsunami, avalanche, hurricane, whatever it is. It's continuing to happen, and the stories are continuing to be told. And there seems to be no end in sight, and that is depressing on many levels. But I think it also shows that there is such hunger for these stories to come out, and maybe we are reaching some sort of tipping point. I also like you share the overall fright that people will stop caring and that people will just start to glaze over, especially readers. They won't care anymore. I also want to offer them as an EIC more than just here is another template of violence and abuse. One of the things that we have discussed as a staff internally is that these absolutely have to be logged. They have to be registered. But how can we push it beyond the impetus being on survivors to share these accounts because there is a responsibility there. They're sharing it. So what are we going to do? So last week, we launched a newsletter called the Me Too Moment. And, you know, part of my job description was to get a gender-focused newsletter off the ground. And the idea was, you know, we would strategize on that and we would come up with our visual identity and we would launch that in early 2018. And then it was like, oh, psych, we got to do this right now. And so I found myself last week typing and retyping and retyping and retyping an intro to this newsletter, which is a temporary newsletter as long as we need it, which maybe won't, in fact, be temporary. But every time I wrote a new top to it, a new story would break or I would have a new idea about how we should be thinking about this. And so I do think that we're not experiencing reader fatigue. Readers are really thirsty for information about how to continue to think about this, but there is a sense of being overwhelmed. And I find myself overwhelmed. You know, how are we supposed to think about this? There are so many new cases every day. And so what this newsletter aims to do is kind of guide people through that. I I would say that I hope for you being at, at, at such a crucial role for The Times that your role as gender editor impacts other roles at The Times, um, that as gender editor, 
you see more of your colleagues and perhaps editors and teams underneath you develop a literacy on gender that they clearly need and that they need from someone like you. Yeah. I've been joking that I will be successful when my job no longer is needed. <laughs> and so essentially my job is to work myself out of a job because I think you're exactly right. Like this is something that should exist across sections, across desks, across platforms. And we you know, are committed to doing a better job of that. But yeah, you know, a gender editor shouldn't have to exist. Like a gender editor exists because media was created by and for white men, largely. And so we are closing that gap, I hope. Koa Beck is the new editor-in-chief of Jezebel. Jessica Bennett is the new gender editor at The New York Times, as well as an author of the 2015 book Feminist Fight Club. That's all for us today. Thanks so much for listening. I'm glad that you're with us. I'm Todd Zwillick. This is The Takeaway. Since WNYC's first broadcast in 1924, we've been dedicated to creating the kind of content we know the world needs. Since then, New York Public Radio's rigorous journalism has gone on to win a Peabody Award and a DuPont Columbia Award, among others. In addition to this award-winning reporting, your sponsorship also supports inspiring storytelling and extraordinary music that is free and accessible to all. To get in touch and find out more, visit sponsorship.wnyc.org.